You are listening to Vital Signs, a podcast for Centera providers. Welcome to the fourth and final episode of the series, Alcohol Withdrawal. In today's episode, we are joined by Neil Davis, Critical Care Clinical Specialist, Irma Gandayu, Clinical Pharmacy Specialist in Internal Medicine, and Irene Tolt, Pharmacy Practice Resident. Before we turn things over to the team, let's go over some important CME announcements. This episode has been accredited for AMA PRA Category 1 credits, for detailed accreditation and designation information, along with disclosure information, please visit the show notes. This information can also be found on our website, www.centera.com forward slash physician education, as well as always reaching us by email at physicianeducation at centera.com. Hello, my name is Neil Davis, and I'm the Critical Care Clinical Pharmacy Specialist on the Clinical Variation Reduction Alcohol Withdrawal Team, and it was my privilege to be one of the developers of the newly revised Alcohol Withdrawal Protocol. I am fortunate to have here with me today Irma Gandayo, who's a Clinical Pharmacy Specialist in Internal Medicine and one of the Centera Lee Hospital Alcohol Withdrawal Site Leads. With us today, we also have Irene Talt, who is a pharmacy practice resident within Centera Healthcare in the Hampton Roads region, and it has been her resident research project involving alcohol detoxification management as well as early symptom severity screening. For this fourth and final episode of the Alcohol Withdrawal Podcast Series, we will be sharing some common alcohol withdrawal protocol questions and answers we've encountered which will hopefully facilitate you when you come across similar scenarios at your practice setting. So let's get started with our questions, and I'm going to turn it over to Irma and Irene. Thanks, Neil. Okay, Irene, I have a patient who, despite escalating doses of benzodiazepines, appears to be refractory to treatment. Their CWAS scores are persistently scoring in the 20s, and the nurse has made multiple calls to me. What is an alternative treatment approach that I can consider? If your patient appears to be benzodiazepine refractory, you should strongly consider phenobarbital as a treatment option in the GABA-deficient subset. Benzodiazepines require some presence of presynaptic GABA molecules to increase frequency of chloride channel opening. Patients with moderate to severe alcohol withdrawal syndrome may have decreased GABA levels and be poorly responsive to benzodiazepine therapy. Phenobarbital increases duration of chloride channel opening but does not require presence of GABA to be effective. Since phenobarbital also suppresses the excitatory neurotransmitters glutamate and NMDA, it may be a better option than benzodiazepines in those patients who are GABA deficient to avoid withdrawal, escalation of care, and increase the length of stay. Phenobarbital is beneficial to use in patients who have GABA depletion and may be benzodiazepine refractory if not responding to repeated doses of benzodiazepines. Now I have a scenario where my patient is outside of the alcohol withdrawal window, but he is still aggressive and combative. He's still scoring on the CWA assessment, and he's being administered PRN doses based on the CWA scores. How should I approach this patient? Delirium from alcohol withdrawal seldom lasts more than five to seven days. For patients who remain aggressive and combative or whose symptoms initially improve but then worsen again, 
an alternative diagnosis should be considered. In another scenario, I have a patient who's on a scheduled taper regimen of Librium, and she continues to escalate. How should I address this? If your patient continues to escalate while on a scheduled taper regimen, consider customizing dosing for escalating patients. You can increase tapering doses or restart taper or restart the taper at starting dose. Now the same patient who is on the med surge unit continues to escalate. When should I consider transfer to a higher level of care and why? If your patient on the med surge unit continues to escalate, consider calling an MRT for potential transfer to a higher level of care, either the intermediate care unit or ICU. The maximum frequency of assessments in med surge units are every four hours, whereas in the intermediate care unit, they will be able to reassess patients every two hours or every hour in the ICU. This allows for more frequent monitoring and more opportunity to administer drugs to stay on top of withdrawal symptoms for your escalating patient. Looking at the updated protocol, I see that dexmedetomidine is available as an adjunct option. When should I consider using Pesadex in my alcohol withdrawal patients? Dexmedetomidine can be a useful adjunct agent in your alcohol withdrawal patient when used appropriately. Let's first talk a bit about how it works so you can understand its use with managing alcohol withdrawal symptoms. It is a highly selective alpha-2 adrenoreceptor agonist and works somewhat similar to clonidine, but is eight times more selective. It acts as an agonist on alpha-2 adrenoreceptors, primarily in the pons of the brainstem. By doing so, it inhibits the CNS sympathetic outflow and norepinephrine release, providing sedative and anxiolytic activity. It reduces autonomic hyperactivity and helps control sympathetic symptoms of alcohol withdrawal syndrome, such as hypertension, tachycardia, severe agitation, and tremor. Other key benefits of dexmedetomidine is that it does not cause respiratory depression and is less likely to precipitate over-sedation and may avoid the need for mechanical ventilation. Consider fixed-dose Presidex in ICU 0.2 to 0.3 micrograms per kilogram per hour to stabilize but avoid titration of doses, which lowers CWA score and prevents CWA-triggered doses. Okay, Irene, so I've started Presidex on my alcohol withdrawal patient. What are my next steps? Now that you're familiar with how dexmedetomidine works, keep in mind that while it helps control alcohol withdrawal symptoms, it does not address the underlying problem when considering the CNS pathophysiology in withdrawal. Decreased GABA activity and excess glutamate NMDA excitatory activity, is also, it also has no anti-epileptic activity, so make sure these patients are loaded with GABA therapy. Another aspect to realize is that Dexmedetomidine can actually mask the symptoms of withdrawal and lower the CWA score, which prevents appropriate use of PRN doses of GABA active therapy and can potentially prolong withdrawal. Since we rely on CWA score, on the CWA score for CWA triggered doses, the patient may actually get less GABAergic active agents than they should, or they may not get none at all. Because Presidex may inadvertently decrease the CWA score and reduce GABA therapy, GABA therapy, whether it be benzodiazepines or a, 
uh, barbiturate should be continued or titrated up. Presidex should only be used as a short-term bridge or adjunct. Your goal should be to wean patients off dexmedetomidine within 8 to 12 hours with a transition to GABA therapy. So I'm more comfortable using benzodiazepines as therapy, but I'd like to explore other treatment options to optimize care. Which of my alcohol withdrawal patients should I consider as ideal candidates for phenobarbital? Alcohol withdrawal patients who are an ideal candidate for phenobarbital include those with a history of DTs or seizures, a POS score greater than or equal to four, patients who appear to be having an initial non-response to benzodiazepines or have a history of refractory response to benzodiazepines. Patients already going through active DTs or severe withdrawal symptoms when they are admitted to the hospital and or alcohol withdrawal syndrome with significant mental status changes and high risk for delirium. You also want to make sure your patient is non-elderly, less than 65 years old and without cirrhosis. I'm reluctant to load my patients with phenobarbital because I've never done so before and it seems like a lot. When should I consider use of a phenobarbital load 10 mg per kg and is it safe for my patient? If your patient has scored greater than 15 on CWA, pause greater than four, and still escalating or already in DTs, consider using phenobarbital 10 mg per kg load. These patients are the ones you need to consider a transfer to a higher level of care, as the phenobarbital loading dose can only be administered in if your patient is in the ED, ICU, or intermediate care unit. Another caveat to this, for those patients who have already received a lot of benzodiazepines greater than 5 milligrams of lorazepam or greater than 25 milligrams of diazepam in the last six hours, you would want to withhold the 10 mg per kg loading dose and instead use the de-escalating dosing scheme of phenobarbital provided in the protocol. Literature has shown that a single dose of IV phenobarbital combined with symptom-guided lorazepam-based alcohol withdrawal protocol resulted in decreased ICU admission and resulted in no adverse effects. Phenobarbital also affords the opportunity to check levels to assess the therapeutic response. Well, phenobarbital sounds like an ideal treatment option. Are there any patients on which I should avoid using phenobarbital? You'll want to avoid phenobarbital in patients whose diagnosis of alcohol withdrawal is unclear. Phenobarbital has a very long half-life, so if the diagnosis is not clear, then you do not want to give phenobarbital due to its long duration of action. You'll also want to avoid using phenobarbital in patients with advanced cirrhosis or hepatic encephalopathy. These patients would be at a greater risk for accumulating phenobarbital due to its long half-life and could result in potential adverse events. Okay, now that I'm amenable to using phenobarbital, I've administered 15 to 20 mg per kg to my patient and delirium still persists. Should I continue to escalate my phenobarbital dosing and to what max dose? Keep in mind that the alcohol withdrawal protocol starts the loading dose of phenobarbital at 10 mg per kg for CWA greater than 15 in severe withdrawal or DTs in the ICU-ED 
or intermediate care unit only. If you're having to if you're having to increase beyond 15 to 20 mg per kg of phenobarbital, then you probably need to reconsider your diagnosis and think of potential alternate diagnosis. For phenobarbital, 30 mg per kg is an estimated max which will put your patient higher than the therapeutic range of 15 to 40 micrograms per ml and you'll likely not get any benefit if you go any higher than that. Are there any other scenarios in which I should be cautious when using phenobarbital? Use phenobarbital with caution in those patients who have received significant doses of benzodiazepines. Since phenobarbital functions synergistically with benzodiazepines, you'll need to be cognizant if you are mixing and matching different agents, especially with large doses of phenobarbital. You also want to be cautious using phenobarbital in patients receiving concomitant agents that suppress respiratory drive, such as opioids, or at high risk of airway compromise. Okay, Irene. Well, I'm looking at the protocols and I'm deciding amongst the available treatment options. What are some considerations between phenobarbital versus benzodiazepines that I should factor into my clinical decision? While benzodiazepines augment GABA inhibitory activity, they have no effect on the excitatory glutamate NMDA receptor activity. So while they address the GABA deficiency, they do not address the excess glutamate. Benzodiazepines also require some presence of presynaptic GABA molecules to increase the frequency of the chloride channel opening. Phenobarbital has the advantage of both augmenting GABA activity and also inhibiting glutamate NMDA excitatory activity. It also increases duration of the chloride channel opening, but it does not require the presence of GABA to be effective. Do longer-acting benzodiazepines such as Librium or Valium have any advantages over intermediate-acting agents such as Ativan? Longer-acting agents may lead to a smoother withdrawal course by minimizing the peak and trough concentrations that occur with shorter-acting agents such as lorazepam. Appropriate candidates would be those without a history of cirrhosis or advanced age. Now, I'm familiar with the CWAS scoring tool, but what is the PAUSE assessment tool and where do I find it in EPIC? The PAUSE assessment is a validated tool for identifying patients at high risk for complicated withdrawal. Scores of four or greater have a high predicted value for patients at risk of complicated alcohol withdrawal syndrome. Providers are notified when patients have a pause of two or greater. This alerts the provider to the patient's history and strong consideration should be given to ordering the CWAP protocol. The pause assessment should be performed on all admitted patients and may be found with the CWAP score in the flow sheets in EPIC. With all the available treatment options on the protocol, can I mix and match phenobarbital with benzodiazepines? Administering scheduled phenobarbital with CWA-triggered PRN doses of benzodiazepine or vice versa is a potential therapeutic strategy. Combining the long duration of phenobarbital for scheduled doses and a shorter-acting agent, such as lorazepam for PRN doses, may provide some pharmacologic benefits. Providers do need to be cognizant of the differing pharmacologic properties, such as onset, peak, and duration when mixing drug classes. A thorough understanding of the pharmacokinetic differences between agents and classes will help preclude oversedation and other adverse events. Okay, Irene, let's talk about benzodiazepine toxicity. 
what should I look for and what steps should I take if I think my patient may be experiencing this? Patients may experience confusion, blurred vision, unresponsiveness or weakness, or slurred speech. If a patient experiences toxicity, therapy should be held, the patient's airway should be closely monitored, and if needed, transferred to a higher level of care. Taking a look at the adjunctive meds available on the protocol, which patients should I consider giving high-dose thiamine to? Thiamine, 200 milligrams IV Q8 for 72 hours should be administered for all high-risk patients for the prevention of Wernicke's encephalopathy and Korsakoff syndrome. Wernicke's encephalopathy can be difficult to diagnose and may mask itself with ICU delirium or head injury, which delays appropriate treatment. Literature favors giving high-dose thymine in the critical ill subset where neurologic assessments can't be done. There are other potential adjunctive therapies being researched for use in alcohol withdrawal syndrome, the first of which we'll explore is baclofen. Can baclofen be used for alcohol withdrawal syndrome? Baclofen works on GABA-B, causing a release of dopamine from the amygdala, compared to benzodiazepines, which work on GABA-A. A recent study looked at baclofen for alcohol withdrawal syndrome compared to placebo. However, the results were conflicting since it reduced agitation, but length of stay and duration of mechanical ventilation were longer. Because this was a hypothesis-generated study, more investigation is required, and baclofen should not be used for alcohol withdrawal syndrome. Another potential adjunctive therapy is gabapentin. Irene, what are your thoughts for use of gabapentin in alcohol withdrawal syndrome? Gabapentin does not actually work on GABA. Recently published data with gabapentin showed an increase in the effectiveness of abstinence after initial detox and treating outpatient alcohol use disorder. We believe gabapentin has demonstrated promising results in these patients, but is beyond the scope of our inpatient protocol. Gabapentin has demonstrated conflicting results with treatment of alcohol withdrawal syndrome. Some studies have shown reduced benzodiazepine requirements, but others showing no difference or increased benzodiazepine requirements during acute withdrawal. Finally, let's talk about the use of ethanol in alcohol withdrawal. I remember long ago alcohol being stocked in the pharmacy for use in alcohol withdrawal patients. Currently, Irene, what is the role of ethanol for prevention or treatment of alcohol withdrawal symptoms? The use of alcohol in the prevention or treatment of alcohol withdrawal syndrome is controversial. There are no randomized controlled trials assessing oral ethanol as a single agent in alcohol withdrawal syndrome. The American Society of Addiction Medicine recommends against the use of alcohol for alcohol withdrawal syndrome. Alcohol is not effective for the treatment of seizures, which can emerge early on in withdrawal, and it is also difficult to titrate to a therapeutic level. Ethanol has the potential for serious adverse effects, including hepatic, gastrointestinal, hematologic, and neurologic toxic effects. Based on the lack of clinical evidence supporting efficacy and safety in alcohol withdrawal syndrome, it is not recommended to be used routinely. Thank you, Irene and Irma. So, in conclusion, while there is no correct way to manage your alcohol withdrawal patient by initiating the evidence-based alcohol detoxification order set as soon as possible, considering all the medication options that are available to you, including phenobarbital, you can anticipate withdrawal symptoms, 
be proactive and aggressive up front to avoid unnecessary escalation of care and to obtain improved outcomes for your patient. Thank you for taking the time to listen to us today. We hope this question and answer session will help guide you in managing care for your alcohol withdrawal patients. You've been listening to Sentara Healthcare's Vital Signs, a podcast for Sentara providers. Be on the lookout for the next series. As a reminder, read today's show notes for information about claiming your continuing education credits. Well, that's it for now, but we'll be back soon with another episode of Vital Signs, a podcast for Sentara providers, the podcast that provides evidence-based education programs for physicians and healthcare providers on the go.